Alright, so I don't think there's any better person for me to start this conversation with. You know, I have... I do. I, that's not true. There are plenty of actually smart people <laughs> that you could have this conversation with. I am the quintessential... I'm going to say the quintessential armchair philosopher in the most positive sense of that. So, you know, I have a bachelor's degree from a low-down college. Like, you know, not that great. But I studied enough to be dangerous. (laughs) So there are plenty of people you can have this conversation with better than me. Just want your audience to know that. So, one of the biggest questions that... Due to our personality types, the instances that have happened while we've been doing life together, so on and so forth, is what is the purpose of Sunday morning? What is the purpose of the worship service? And with how many different pastors that I work with and how many different people that I interact with, this has been one of those things that I've been itching to really unpack with people and allow for there to be honest, authentic conversation that embraces the idea that the more people that I ask about this, the more varied responses I'm going to get. You know what I mean? I recently did some work with uh, a Lutheran pastor named Pastor Will. He was on the show and we were discussing the power of liturgical church. And it's probably the most receptive that I've ever been to that style Um, without getting too far into that. I still think there are aspects that are missing from it. I do think that it's not the one size fits all. Um, But with everything that's happened... And how many times you and I have booked the proverbial territory as far as all of this goes. Let's let's jump into the realities of the things that we have seen out of Sunday morning and what that looks like now. So, I will start off by saying that I... I am not authorized as an official apologist for liturgical church at large. (laughs) I think your listeners ought to know that, first and foremost. So let me, let me, let me think about, let me think about a succinct way to come into the topic of what Sunday morning is about. So while you're thinking about that, let me go ahead and set the table so people understand the context that you and I are coming from. (laughs) We are both experienced on the whole idea of the city on the hill. You know what I mean? The the mainstream, large, multi-site, megachurch dynamic and all of its ridiculousness and all of those kinds of things. And then switching over to a very small church that had some really strong ideas as far as kingdom and all of that kind of stuff, I would argue that 
the execution left a lot to be desired, and that's not even getting into everybody throwing up their hands in March. But literally, to give you guys an idea, a week before lockdown in 2020, the eldership of the church that we were attending together all collectively threw up their hands and and gave up. You know what I mean? And and yes, it, it's I'm not I'm not gussying it up. I'm not um, I'm I'm being very blunt about <laughs> what actually happened and all of that. You know? Yeah, you don't uh, you don't beat around beat around the proverbial bush. No, which is good. Um, yeah, I would and to clarify, I didn't you know I never attended regularly any mega church types, but we definitely were fed. You know, that, that, that Kool-Aid was definitely, definitely in the, the Bible college cafeteria, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, soda dispenser, soda machine of this is what successful church looks like. Sometimes it was about big churches, how many people, etc. Other times it was about, you know, uh, getting your theology right and that's how you do it a healthy church if you just believe the right things and fight all those evil people out there. So you got a little a mix of those, but definitely then moving from that mentality and that kind of teaching to um, the last, the previous congregation we attended, a lot of, a lot of great ideas and, and a lot of execution, like a fair amount of execution in the short time that I was there. As far as putting that, putting, putting the kingdom of God here and coming into practice, like, you know, it was definitely, it's definitely a better effort than I've seen anywhere else. <laughs> That's how I'll put it around here. So, so that being said, I think those two, let's just broadly categorize as the, you know, the, the big church paradigm and then the, what do you want to call it? I mean, do you want to call it, it almost felt avant-garde in a certain way for this yeah. area. Because we, in our area, we have a lot of Protestant churches that kind of, you know, just run on the whole how the numbers thing. But then we have, um, you know, a great deal of uh, Catholic congregations too. It's very much about that tradition and there's still a great concern about you know, parishes dying off and the diocese like scrambling to put people places and like very much like a just how do we keep the doors open for people to kind of consume this thing either way, like Protestant or Catholic. So then you have, then you have crossroads where I did not feel, I definitely did not feel that it was a consumer culture of any, by any stretch for the most part. I said by any stretch. For the most part, I did not feel any sense of like consumer culture there by the congregants. But the concern was how an, an idea, the idea idealistically was how do we use Sunday to prepare people to live through the week? And because because when you're when you're trying to ground yourself in the gospels and what Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God that it has come. Jesus says, 
some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power, speaking in the first century. And he says that repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, it's here, y'all. <laughs> you know. And he also says, you know, plain indication about it, what's to come, and of course, the New Testament writers. So when you are trying to live that out and understand and look around at the world and say, well, the kingdom of God has come. So what does that mean for us? And what does that mean for Sunday? I think there were, I think there was a lot of valiant effort to using Sunday, seeing Sunday as just one slice of the pie of the Christian life, the Christian walk. It's hard to execute though. Yeah. And I don't even know, you know, we've talked about this area, and that's true, like, our area is difficult, for sure, in a lot of ways, but I don't even know how much of it really is this area, like, I just don't think, I don't think culturally people are prepared to look at church that way, um, and of course America is, I mean, a diverse array of cultures, but, so anyway, I guess that's me sort of setting the table, trying to think out loud about how we're processing this. This is a huge topic. So one of the things <laughs> that we really came together on was this whole Book of Acts thing. This whole idea of community and different things like that. And, and in a lot of ways, that same kind of spirit that you're talking about Crossroads having. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is... That's not, A, that's not popular, but B, most people don't get off a go when it comes to the book of Acts. Most people can't get past, so does that mean that we're all supposed to sell all of our stuff and put all of the money into, and should it be a commune, and that's just, that's just communism, and that's just this and that, and I'm like, but, but it's, it's the idea that that, that was, that was the need there then at that time and what did they do when they saw a need they came together as a community and there you go you know what i mean so i started attending uh, kind of attending is a very very strong word i'm not sure <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure i'm ready for that kind of commitment or Are anything you yet. A back row baptist <laughs> um the grove you know yeah, okay. yeah, man. I checked out the Grove a few years ago. Uh, yeah, before Crossroads. Yeah, so we checked that out. Crazy how a bunch of people that are all in different ways disciples of the same dude all get along. Hmm. You know what I mean? So, so uh, the the same guy has spoken into both Seth and I's life. And and he was the he was the pastor at at the church that we attended and all of that and I actually saw him um, a couple of weeks ago really? when Mike did a they had a concert uh-huh. at the Grove and I had, and as as a as a side effect of, of Jamie leaving um, it put Mike and I in contact and we've right. we've gone out to breakfast a couple of times and stuff and he invited me to it and I know. What kind of singer Mike is, you know, Bob Dylan meets Tom Petty in the best possible way, 
And so I'm like, okay, yeah, that that sounds like a good like a good deal. And and Jamie showed up, and we caught up, and all of those kinds of things. And I'm I'm listening, and there was this nuanced thing to their worship, right? It wasn't about a performance. It wasn't about that, and it wasn't just straight worship that they did. It was an actual concert. Um, but that to me was like refreshing. You know what I mean? And I I decided to check it out. You know what I mean? I know I know I know Scott. I know Mike. I'm like okay. You know it's not going to hurt anything, and it doesn't hurt that it's like literally a mile away from my house. Is so, it real? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 bro. It is. Yeah. So so I I go and. I, I told them both because I'd, I'd had meetings with both of them after I attended and and talked to them. It's got some of the, some of the most solid teaching that I've seen from the pulpit since Jamie. Wow. And I can see why the people that choose to make that church home choose it. Mm. It's still a non-denominational American church and you cannot negotiate your way out of that. Mm. You just can't. Not in America. Not in this area. You mm. cannot do it. And and I would say that they have gone a great deal to try and go down the field of marrying those worlds of kingdom and all of those kinds of things while still having aspects that are inviting to other people. And it's not so drastically different that it, it's off-putting to people. But... It's it's still it still smells enough like American Sunday morning yeah. that that's part that's why I say I'm I don't know if I'm ready for that to say that I'm attending. So give me give me a clip give me an example of the uh, of the uh, of the the, the the aroma of the smell of the American Sunday. <laughs> like what's an example that you found? So I'll go I'll start I'll start at the beginning of. They, Mike has probably the best idea that I've seen on worship, uh, on like what biblical worship is, not just three songs in a sermon, you know what I mean? And, and understanding in Old Testament times, the worshipers, the, wor- the, the worship team, if you will, what that, what their, their purpose was and all of that. Um, but... There's no way around it being two songs in the front, three songs in the back that sandwich in 35 minutes of teaching. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that that um, teaching, there being practical life points. Right. And and so while it's it's separated to an extent from the Three good teaching points, and I haven't made that joke in a while because I finally laid off of railing against the American church, and now we're having this conversation. Um, but I, like I said, it still has that that aroma that when you understand what the book of Acts is trying to tell you, when you understand what those people were doing, when you understand what the whole idea of community is. And even if you get a little bit of a taste, even if it's just a little bit, it is so difficult to go back to sitting in a pew, in a, in a building, listening to teaching, 
and then going home. Right. You know what I mean? So if I can, and tell me if I am wrong on what I'm, I'm about to say, like if I'm misunderstanding your point. But if I could summarize your point there, I think what you're getting at is the passive, I am the teacher or the worship team or whatever, and we're just going to dump, whether you want to call it information dump, or whether you want to call it, you know, like you said, practical life points. Like, we're just going to dump this into you and see you later. Like, we did our job for the day. Is that is that what bothers, what bothers you in that instance? Maybe not to that specific degree because, like I said, there, there are relational habits mm-hmm. and things like that that both Scott and Mike have that, that engage their people more than that. But the hook, but, but there's the hooks you're saying. Yeah. The practical life point hook, the symmetry, this, and symmetry is good. And, and I think, I hope people don't misunderstand, like, I know what you're saying, like, but people couldn't misunderstand that, like, you, you don't think that teaching is good. Like, obviously that's not what you're saying. Right. But, but what you're saying is, I think what you're getting at is the overemphasis on abstract teaching and then... Again, nice, nice bow on it, American style life points for being a better this or being a better that, right? Is that yeah. that's the that's the that's the bother? Yeah. So so to to specify, I think there's so much power in somebody just breaking open the text and exegeting the text. I don't care about the fun little conver- or the fun little vacation that you had with your family and the cute thing that your kid did. I don't care. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> you don't care about kids, Joe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Somebody just th- there it is. But that's that to me. There's teaching, and then there's TED talks. Mm, that's a good way to put it. And there's the, and there's this yeah Christian TED talks. Yeah. So, so my wife says to me unsolicited as she's been working through the wreckage, I'll say the wreckage, mm-hmm. left behind by everybody's decisions, including January of 2020. Yeah. Everybody's decisions and how it all played and how it all played out in her wounds of dealing with the whole idea of getting back into a church and things like that. And she goes, "It really bothers me." That so much of the time, when I listen to somebody preach, and you just knock off the worship, you knock off the prayer, it can be presented as a TED Talk or a self-help seminar. Mm -hmm. And that, you know my wife. She's not one of those people like us that will get into the proverbial ring and throw hands. That's a lot. That's a a sizable thing for her to step forward and say that. So, okay, let me riff off of your your points in this fashion. So for context, we've been attending um, an Anglican church uh, north of here for, since October, I'll say, regularly Sunday, just Sundays. It's, It's a bit of a drive, so we've just been doing Sunday. And... I told you the last time we spoke, and I've told this to my wife on a number of occasions, you know, I can't 
put my finger on why I feel I need to make this drive every single week. And let me slow, slow down that statement. Why I feel I need to make this drive every week. I'm not saying, I don't know why I have to go to church or like, what is this? I'm saying there, there has been some several impulses that, well, there's been an impulse to, to satisfy what I can only describe as an unfamiliar craving, or maybe it'd be better to say an unfamiliar yearning, I guess is a better way to put it. Not so much a craving, but a, a yearning and desire. And that is, as I've told you before, for the first time in my life, I've attended a church where I don't participate at all in the leadership, in the music or Bible study or doing something in the ministry, quote unquote, sense. It's the first time week to week, I just feel I have to go back. Mm-hmm. Not, oh yeah, I'm supposed to go to church, like... I gotta do this thing. Or even not even just, yeah, going to church is a good thing, you know, Bible says better go to church, you know, blah blah blah. Like I can only describe it as an impulse to satisfy an unfamiliar yearning of every week I feel I need to go. And anytime we've missed it, I feel lost. So I've been working through I've been I've been attending first and foremost and getting to know people and and working towards making that our home church and our home congregation and our people. But I've been, I've told you and I've told Beth, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what is behind this impulse. I don't, I don't understand why specifically, because for me it is specifically about the, the Anglican tradition. We've attended the Episcopal Church before Crossroads and same kind of thing like that liturgical liturgical service um, and only this week did I really start did I did I find the words someone else's words to articulate what what is part of the motivation so liturgical services I had a conversation with Brendan the other week um, Brendan is the host of the podcast that I sometimes make an appearance on, shameless plug for the Fusion podcast. Um, (laughs) I had a conversation with him and he's like, so what gives with the liturgical service stuff? And you know, we were talking about things and reasons why Gen Xers, millennials are finding it, you know, this is resurgence, but none of the reasons, I was like, yeah, I see that and here's how I would, Say, but they weren't ringing true to the core of why every week I feel like I need to go back there. I think part of it is liturgical services have the potential, have a greater potential than your typical Protestant churches or even non-denominational churches that are riffing off of that model. Just just your kind of standard American Protestant church model, structure, whatever. Liturgical services have more potential to eliminate the Americanization and the commercialism, 
right? If we just keep, like, just keep that point of view for a second. Because, by nature, they are very much steeped into this tradition. Now, whether or not you like the feeling of the Latin tradition, the medieval stuff, whatever, that's a different question. But the point is, they have, there's more potential in those types of services to distance you from the commercialization, from the pop culture, etc. Right, from that cultural influence. So that's one part. And having you and I just spoken about loss and grief and things we hate putting up with, I mean, one of the things I hate even more, like now more than ever, is cheapness. Yeah. I just hate cheap, like cheap theology. Bonhoeffer calls it cheap grace. You know, the hooks, the commercialism, the whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm done. Right? Like, I, I thought I was done before. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, like, life is so hard and short and, and time is so precious and the gospel so precious. I'm, I'm really done with any attempts and anything that on Sunday morning that reeks of cheap and commercialization and just ripping off of what the culture is doing. Oh, like, what's our new method for getting people to come in and consume this thing? Right. So, I'll just start there. Now, the thing, the further than that, and what I realized and I picked up a book, one of the rare gems, books that I still value from Bible College, because um, it's actually just a really great book. This past Sunday was Palm Sunday, so we're recording this. And in the Anglican tradition, what you do is you begin the service outside the church, the church building. And there are, there's a gospel reading. I should have brought my kind of prayer book over. There's a gospel reading. There, you're all holding your palms. You're responding to the gospel reading. Choir comes in. They're singing. We're, uh, what were we singing? We were singing All Glory, Laud, and Honor. So you're, they, they go walk into the church and you follow them through the sanctuary and then eventually you make your way to your seat. So it's a procession is what it is. Okay. So you are imitating and acting out in a, in a very you know small way the procession of Palm Sunday. And so what do you think it's like? It's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Because people, because whether or not there's much commercialization in the service, we're still Americans. We're still, you know, cleanly dressed. Like, this is not a, this is not a, you know, a, 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 it's not a, it's not a affluent area by any means. But most of us are, are, you know, just your average, average person. We're not deeply, deeply in poverty. Like, we're, you know, we wear our Sunday best, whatever we look, you know, as clean as we look all week or whatever, like, Got our Sunday smiles on. So, like, it's awkward. But for me, it was powerful. Because I realized, oh, we're acting the story. Like, we're acting this scene out. Not, like, not even just, like, oh, well, you have your line or, or whatever. But, like, we are imitating the moment when Christ comes in and the rector had just read Luke 19, um, Luke's gospel on, on Palm Sunday. And Jesus had just, before he proceeds into, into Jerusalem, he had just finished telling them the story, the parable 
of the king who goes to get himself a kingdom and comes back and he's settling accounts when he comes back and then we finish the story and we start a song and it's like very intense like big pipe organ whatever and you're you're this procession around the church with that in your mind like christ coming he's you know and folks it's time to give an account like the king has returned like that was powerful for me man like once you get over like i said the awkwardness or the whatever people not sure like oh do i go now do i whatever but like if you if you can break away from the periphery and like focus on what is happening liturgical service specifically has the potential to for more for more of those moments every sunday because the service in nature there is more movement there are responses there are there's more scripture read than in your typical protestant church there's a lot of scripture preached on in a lot of these churches like you know if it is exegetical or not or if it's, if it's topical, it's, it's like scripture preached on, but as far as someone just opening the text and reading it, there is so much potential for, there, there is more potential for the congregation to participate in that reading. So I realized that as I was reading uh, this one book I have called Performing the Sacred, I realized that I am driven to that and there is this yearning that I've never had before and this refreshment after each service because liturgical service again has the potential and does for where we attend it has the potential to engage with all of your senses the thing that Beth and I dislike the most about the average Sunday morning in American church is the sitting there and just like being these empty vessels for someone's you know overflowing wisdom as to how we should live our lives. Like I said, the point, the hook with the points. Or even, even exegetical preaching, but that leads to nowhere. Like it just, it's just more, you're just talking to people who already agree with you a lot of the time. A lot of the time, exegetical preaching fails to actually impart wisdom. You can disseminate information but by nature of how long it is and how many topics people go through or how many just words you use, you start to lose people. There's a, there's a point at which you start to lose people, even people who want to listen to you like me. So liturgical services have the potential to engage all of the senses, to distance from the commercialization, and to enable congregants to actively participate and reenact the story, you know, of the Gospels or of whatever, you know, different parts of the year. You're going through this calendar. You're placing yourself in this position where I don't know what these Latin words mean. <laughs> I don't know what this stuff means, but like, I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to teach my kids. Like, oh, this is what this means. And you're going to be changed by that in, in the ideal sense. You're going to be changed by that because you are putting yourself under, in a community where, all right, this time of year, this is the feast we have because this happened in scripture or because Jesus did that or because if you're more on the Catholic, Anglo-Catholic or Catholic side, this saint did that. And a lot of times it's great things. A lot of sometimes it's weird, but whatever. So I realized that that engagement with the senses, 
that distance from the commercialization and the participation, the participation with the story, the interaction with the story of God, what it is, you can only, you can only do that if you have your eyes fixed on the incarnation of Christ. Like, Christ, God coming and being, what's the right word to say that won't be heretical because I'm stepping into the incarnation debates and theological stuff. God coming to earth, taking on flesh and being subject to time and space, to decay. You know, Hebrews says that we don't have a savior uh, a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weakness being subject to that weakness you only like our faith is is predicated on God coming into our realm and living out our life and our you know story in the human sense right and that's what that's what these services that's what a lot of these feasts that's what a lot of these and reenactments are trying to communicate, they're trying to point to. And I think that the power, that the potential for, for those powerful moments like I had on Sunday is so much greater in these services. And that, to me, but the, incar the incarnation, the incarnality of it is what struck me. The... The fact that you can look at what what is done on a Sunday morning as rehearsal, or you can look at the Christian life even as rehearsal, if you're thinking about it in, a, in the terms of a, of a performing art of a play, because everyone knows in a rehearsal for a you know for a music performance or for a play, you can't you can't just fake it until you make it and then think you're going to be fine when it's when it's the real thing, quote unquote, right? Like viewing Sunday morning and by and then by extension hopefully your Christian life as striving towards the ultimate day the ultimate life and the life to come the life of the world to come or the, the resurrection the new heavens new earth thinking of your life and your Sunday morning as in terms of like we're working at this we're practicing this we're getting this we're trying to get this right. We're trying to be good stewards because one day this will all be like for real. Like this will, you know, our faith will be made sight. The what's another scriptural analogy? You know, um, Peter talks about about the unveiling and all of that kind of stuff. So I think liturgical services have that power, have that potential, and that's that's been a big reason why. I felt that draw because I just need, I need all of my senses engaged and need, because we're, sen we're sensory beings, right? I think everyone does something that's just particular to me. I think that in order for us to really understand something and really know something and be known, all of the senses ought to be engaged at some point. I don't mean that you have to have incense. Like, if you don't have incense in your church, you're not doing it right. That's not what I'm saying. We only had incense like this one past Sunday, and it was the first time that they brought it out. I'm just saying the engagement, the interactivity, the potential, and the, the power that is there is really great, and I've been needing that.
that's been a really big part of it, yeah. You're stroking your beard. So, <laughs> that's probably the most comprehensive explanation that anybody's ever given me as far as what what the power of what the draw is. You know what I mean? And the one thing... Can ahead. I pause you? And, and, and I want to say, yes, that is the power. That said, man, like, on the flip side of that, <laughs> on the flip side of that, you can fall into this love of tradition. Right. You can fall into this. So, and and for me personally, I love the congregation we worship with on Sunday, and I love those in leadership. I really mean that. Like, I love what they're doing. I love them because I've come to learn their heart, their story, etc. cetera. Um, but I personally think, man, that sermon is way too long. <laughs> because even though it's biblically based, even though it's not life points, like our, like our pastors were they not a, a pastor degree? Reverend, a reverend uh, is not one of those life verse or, or uh, points to life type people. How to live a better life? How to be? A, he's not one of those guys. He is really like exegetical. Again, it's just it's actually too much. Just pure abstract information for one time. Right. You gotta, you gotta engage with people and allow them the time, people the time to engage with others. What I, one of the things I love about our congregation is after the service is over, people don't, people don't really leave the congregation, like the, the sanctuary. People are hanging out, catching up, like walking all around. You know, my introverted wife, she hates it <laughs> because people are just like, "Hi, it's so nice to meet you." Like, I'm so sorry it's been so long or whatever. But like, I think that we both can agree. That one of that one of the things Sunday has to be about is is helping equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Yeah, and part of that equipping is encouragement and time to give people to actually catch up to not hey how you doing oh I'm good brother like, you know whatever like no 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 to like like people in this congregation like sit down in corners and just have private conversations like like we're just gonna sit down kids are running around whatever like. They allow space for that, and I love that. But I'm like, oh man, like there's actually too much of this information dump that I think smacks of the paradigm. Well, I got to get all the Bible into them that I possibly can. It's like, no, I love what Jeff Vanderstel of Soma Ministry says. He says, stop doing all these Bible studies and making people more accountable to the word that they don't actually obey. Help them obey it, yeah. and then teach them more. Yeah. Jesus' disciples try to try to exercise a demon. They can't do it. He comes down. He shows them how. And they ask him, okay, tell us what we're supposed to do about the demons we can't. Now they're listening. Yeah. Now their ears are open to what Jesus has to say about exercising demons. When before they could do it, they couldn't do it this time. Now they're like, why couldn't we do it? It's so embarrassing. you got to give your people an opportunity to be in positions where you've equipped them for the ministry. They fall on their face and you pick them up. Yep. And that is still a failure, even of liturgical services. It's it's still too much emphasis on the service itself. You know what I mean? Right. So I I, I don't mean it. I, I'm sorry I cut you off. I just I wanted to clarify that too, just because I, I think people need to always be counterbalancing right. these points. And that's one of the things where so where the road forks for the two of us, you know, so much of it 
we've made the joke on multiple occasions finally finding somebody who speaks your language speaking kingdom language and that's one of the biggest things that's been such a blessing to me with how many of these conversations that i get to have with people from all over the world because they're so unencumbered by all of the bad theology that america has to offer it's just taking the scriptures at their word it's just taking the scriptures for what they actually mean, not trying to read something into it and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, every every area, from, honestly, for most of the people that I've had conversations with, that trade-up point where they get all of this fresh and it's all wonderful and all of those kinds of things is that if they go out there and they say something about it, they're going to die. You know what I mean? Like that's That's the trade-off. So yeah, in America, we get, the, we get the opportunity to sit here in front of a microphone, rail about what's going on outside, and we don't have to worry about anybody coming to kill us. Okay, I'll buy that. But here's the problem, though. The door has been opened. You left that door open, and now everybody who has a microphone has a voice. And anybody who sits in front of a pulpit has a voice. And so I, you know... I have this entrepreneurial part of my brain, right? Where I'm like, well, what's the number one thing that if you want to start a business, you set out to do? Solve somebody's problem. So you, so, so I look around and I see that what I'm talking about doesn't exist. So the question is, does that make me the person who's responsible for doing it? And that's that's been something that has been has been dancing in the back of my head. But to to go back to the point of where the paths diverge with everything that we've been through, with everything we have stood shoulder to shoulder and nose to nose over this whole idea of what should this thing look like played out, is that I don't see a better opportunity to actually do the thing that we're talking about than doing the home church model where you're not just the same group of people and you never grow and that's all you're just your little that's a small group that's a small group i'm talking about equipping the saints and making disciples who make disciples and all of those kinds of things and being a breeding ground to equip saints and then send them off to go and do the same thing not just keeping everybody in-house, not building a super team, but sending people out to go do this thing. Yeah. And, and I, see, I see everything you say. And honestly, you make it sound as compelling as I've ever made it sound, or I've ever heard it made sound. But I'm not... The one thing I can't get over is you've heard me say this so many times and yeah it's part of the it's part of the baggage of growing up where we are you can have the songs you can have the rituals you can have the prayers you can have the liturgy you can literally have every single solitary piece of it and not have god and and trust me you can fool everybody in the process you can make everybody think and believe and all of those kinds of things and that's the thing that i can't get past when i look at something like a liturgical service 
Because to me, that's a breeding ground to create a whole bunch of people that can spout the stuff off, that can say the prayers, that can walk around the, the, the building and do all of the practice of it all. But don't, and this is, I, I, should, I should, let me let me zoom out the camera here for a, uh, for a second for the community because you and I can sit here and do this. You and I are comfortable with each other poking and prodding and, and, and having it not all be sunshine and rainbows. We're going to agree on every single point. For a lot of people, they're like, oh, the people... The pe- uh, man, I, especially between the two of us, I wish that I wish that there was a camera. Um, but but that's off-putting to to people to be able to hear two people be able to discuss things and not have it be oh they're fighting oh it's 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 awkward it's not awkward it's just two different perspectives. You know what I mean? And it's especially interesting to me because if there was any person that I could point to that brought me into the home church world, (laughs) it's you. Right. Okay. You are, let me start off where you're 100% right. You know, the saying of the road to hell is paved with good intentions is really paved with really great church services. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what the tradition is, it's paved with awesome church service. We great choirs, great rock bands, robes, suits, skinny jeans. Like it's, it's paved with all that. So you can have all that and not have God true. So, since that is true, it either you have to go the direction where it's all foolishness. Or you have to be able to come to an objective point where you say, well, one of the, some of these models and exhibits of, I'm going to say Sunday morning, I don't want to say church, but Sunday morning, one of these or some of these Sunday models, exhibits of Sunday models have to be better or worse than others. Either it's all foolishness or we can objectively point to things that are more true to scripture. So I I don't, I, I do think it is true that the Sunday morning emphasis for liturgical services, that the weakness is still that it can be, as you said, it can just become, it can be with, you know, flatly memorized, it can be rote, it can be, it can become stale, it can become, what's the phrase, dead orthodoxy, Right? And that's that's true for a lot of congregations that that do liturgical service. Um, but the power and the potential for it to be authentically Christian, and specifically, in my mind, in my heart, the power and the potential for me to take the culture of Sunday morning and bring it into the week for my family and for my community is very great. It's right. great. I cannot say yet whether or not, because I we, I haven't really done, uh, yeah, I haven't done enough of the house church bit. <laughs> I can't say whether or not it's greater. Uh, I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm still in process as, as far as like contrasting the two. You're the only time, you're talking to you is the only time I like actually contrast, compare the two. But the potential when you're walking through the Christian calendar, when you're, which all is leading up to the resurrection, like, right. you know, by the way, 
when you are walking through the feasts, when you are memorizing the prayers, when you are teaching your children how to memorize them, when you're going through different catechisms and things like that, whether you do those things or whether you kind of shoot from the hip and like, you know, you know, my wife and I, we do the hospitality thing. We like, we try to put on events for people. Like either way, anything can become corrupted. Right. Anything can become stale or it can become, or our desires and motivations to do those things or even our attempts to put them on. You can start back talking to your wife because she doesn't do this the right way or your wife can start, you know, harboring bitterness because you always do this thing when people are coming over. Like the potential to be corrupted is just, it's just there. Yeah. So I would say that objectively, in my opinion, don't take my word for it. I think there's a lot of smart people who would argue this too. But the the structure and the and the long standing tradition aspect of it, the like having all of these prayers and seasons and feasts and times worked out has great potential, greater potential than just your independent church from wherever doing who knows what with no council or authority above them and one person can just wreck the whole congregation we have, we've been a part of that kind of church for sure mm -hmm. the liturgical services have and churches have a greater potential to equip the average parishioner with everything they need to take that Sunday morning bit and take it into the week now it still falls it still falls short in the sense that again Sunday morning ought to be spent I my personal opinion more time explicitly equipping practically equipping the saints to to do the work of the ministry right during the week because this conversation is sort of about church grievances but it's also about what should Sunday morning so I think that by nature there is a little bit too much of the of the um, con not contingencies or dependencies, but um, require. There's too many requirements in a liturgical service to actually leave time for the ad hoc, um, or, or planned, or even planned. You know, equipping, planned, practical teaching, but. Yeah, dude, I just, I do really think that that having this long-standing model of and and the, the collected scripture readings, collected prayers, collected, like I said, the feast days, the calendar, putting yourself into that rhythm, I just, I think it, again, it engages you on multiple levels as a human. And it, it makes you, if you are willing to think, that's the thing, dude, is no matter where people are, they have to be willing to engage. Right. If you are willing to think on these things, if you're willing to open up your Book of Common Prayer, if you're Anglican or Episcopal, during the week and go through the morning, noonday, and or evening prayers and the grace at meals with your kids, it's like, if you're willing to do that, it's powerful. Right. It's really powerful. So one of the things that I wanted to that I want to hone in on with what you said, we're not going to solve all of the world's church problems, and honestly, that's not the point of this. But I want I want you guys listening 
to understand something. I am, I'll go as far as to say very firmly, at least firmly, if not very firmly, of the opinion that my, for, if, if I had to put money somewhere that some version of this is the best thing to go off of, it's Wonder Twin Powers Activate. It's this <laughs> idea of taking the tradition, and that's why as I teach, as I do these things, and as I run what is the equivalency of our Sunday morning model, it's not on Sunday morning, but it's it's that that service idea. It melds those worlds of, yeah, you know what? Sometimes we're just going to read a scripture. We're going to read a prayer. And we're just going to sit in it. And let me tell you something. That's awkward. Let me tell you something. That's weird. That is, that's weird. But not everything needs... A whole bunch of dialogue afterwards right. and all of that coupled with practical application i understand that we just talked about the hooks but there's a difference between it all building towards becoming a better person becoming a better father becoming a better husband becoming a better person whatever but there's wisdom to be drawn from it mm-hmm. and all of that and and a practical equipping point but regardless, you can see the fact that both of us still come back to this point of the, the posture that you carry into Sunday morning should be carried throughout the rest of the week. And I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks for our context in particular with me being a byproduct of this area and you having flown very close to the sun that centers the city on the hill in educational practices and all of those kinds of things, we've seen how demented that can get. And we've seen how heretical that can get and it's no wonder why that sort of environment has bred a discontentment in the two of us for what is considered popular for what is considered the mainstream and it still comes back to this whole idea that one of the biggest shortcomings is that there's such a segregation between what sunday morning is and what the rest of your week is and Sunday morning was never meant to be the fill-up point for the rest of the week. It's just not. Right. And that, I think, is a common thread that we can at least both hang our hats on. Yeah. Part two of laughing because... I guess it's, it's difficult... Well, not difficult. I've also had the realization that for better or worse, right now at this time period, and I guess in the in the modern era of church history, Sunday morning ought to be seen as replicating the Sabbath day that the church in Acts would have still been celebrating. They still would have gone to synagogue or temple or 
and the prayers, and they would have had their incense and candles and all of their smells and bells, etc. And as, as you know, back in biblical times, they had that time set apart for for the rituals and the and the meditating on the scripture in a in a more rote sense. Um, they had their time of just doing their getting you know their their Sabbath rest, whatever you want to call it. But then they also had what you see in the Book of Acts and what you see in the New Testament letters, a different day to kind of get get uh, you know get get locked arm in arm, for lack of a better phrase. You know, right. Paul's writing to to the Philippians and then the house and the, to the church he meets in the house there. That's a different day mm-hmm. than the Sabbath day. So part of the issue is that we don't actually in our culture have room. We don't make room for both. Right. Cause you know, of course like that's the big problem is that the Gentiles don't celebrate the Sabbath cause they're working. I was like, well guys, Christ did this thing. Like you don't have to be Sabbath observant, but people still observe the Sabbath because it was a good thing to do. They could. So that's a big part of it too, is you connecting a dot here. You are speaking from a point with very valid points. You're speaking from the point of a person who has, I mean, you're on a mission, man. Like you have a calling. You, you are, you're, you're, you're just blazing that trail and you're doing it. And that's great. And I am in the position where like, right now, I'm not every week just like exhausted or emotionally just dried up or whatever, but I was for a while. And I realized how many people are like that. And I was just thankful and amazed that a lot of people come to this same service that I gather. And I just kind of felt good that I'm looking around at people who look like they need help, <laughs> you know, because like I said, we're all, we're dressed in our Sunday best, but like, you can tell, you can tell like who's, who looks like they're having a rough week and like, I certainly for those first few months was just like driving up there. It wasn't just me for the first few months and like, I don't know what I look like, but you know, for, for people who don't have a, a specific call, you know, marking on their lives and a calling or have that kind of energy and charisma. Um, or just aren't in that season, the structure of, whether it's liturgical or not, just the structure of the, the pre-built template, you know, is is what they have, is what they need. And I still, again, no matter which way you're doing it, you still have to have teachers that are willing to teach truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have to have shepherds who are willing to really be shepherds. And you have to have people, congregants, parishioners, who are who understand that I gotta take some of this culture back to my house, right. you know. But so the answer, you're you're right. You and I aren't gonna answer this all today. But really, the answer is very simple. We just need another day of the week. <laughs> we need an eighth day. So then we can do church, like in the and then we can do a house thing, and then we can have six days to work. There you go. If we just if we just find a way, because look, daylight savings is still a thing. Let's get rid of that. Move some hours around. Let's make an eighth day. There you go. That's awesome. You know, and 
I I think the one thing that I I so I so desire to have be pulled out from this conversation and the rest of the conversations that come with various people that as as we unpack what this looks like for different people is <clears throat> we both are talking about community and re- community is a part of it community is a very big part of it and that to me in in my context that's that's the emphasis point that's that's the that's the the kingdom and community and different things like that being the emphasis point of what aspect of this needs to be shown that's and i would go as far as to say for the liturgical side that emphasis point is the ritual is the prayer is that that coming together and publicly and corporately engaging together in that aspect of it but one is not i think one of the biggest misnomers is you can't have ritual and community simultaneously i know that that's false i disagree what do you mean ritual and community at the same time why can why not no i'm saying you can Oh, I'm saying can. the misnomer is oh, that okay, you can't. Oh, okay, the misnomer, the misnomer, okay. Got yeah. It, got it, got it. And so, you know, I, I, think, I think with this, I want people to see that you, that there are certain aspects that are vital regardless of what the actual, what, regardless of what the accessory stuff looks like. Because honestly, if you had somebody who, who who came into one of our services, they would probably say it looks way closer to you than it does to the city on the hill. Like it looks way closer to the liturgical side than it does to this, you know, topical sort of, I'm going to make you feel good and teach you how to be a better person and how to live a better life. Right. Yeah. I think there is something to be said, though, too, about you said... We are emphasizing in this conversation strongly in the communal aspect of it because Christ's body, you know, Christ's church is his body, right? So there has to be a community there. I think it would be a disservice if I didn't also say and point out how the trajectory of the liturgical service leads up to Eucharist or communion or Lord's Supper, however you, you know, prefer to say that. Because that is A, commanded, not commanded every week, Not it's not a rule that it has to be every Sunday, but Jesus commands us to do that in remembrance of him. And by doing that, participating in that act, in that, in that meal together, which, unfortunately, it's not actually a meal, it should be. So, just for the record... Uh, if we're doing it right, it really should be a meal. But participating in that in that reenactment, in that remembrance, in that moment, you know, that service is leading up to that. And I would say that 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 moment, even with our wafer and and wine or grape juice or whatever, that moment ought to be ought to be a microcosm of what our whole life leads to, which is our whole life leads 
is, a, is about remembering the Lord's death until he come, bringing others in to participate in that, and going out after into the world, having, having taken the bread, taken the cup, remembered the, the, the flesh. But, you know, Jesus says, this is my flesh, this is my body, you know, this is my blood. Like, that kind of language is about him, he and us becoming, becoming one, partaking in this mystical union whole thing that I don't want to say more words because then I'm going to say something heretical and not realize it. <laughs> I mean, how much blood has been spilled over, over what that mystery is. But our whole, that, that is in a microcosm, what our mission is about, is about being changed by that and then going out after that, in light of that change and bringing others in to, to participate in the body and the blood. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't emphasize, strongly emphasize that microcosm event. I do firmly believe it should be a meal. I don't really like wafers and wine. It doesn't it's just not as powerful, <laughs> and, and it's just not as it's just not as fleshly as actual loaf of bread and wine and sitting at a table and having it blessed and broken in front of you. Like there's just a lot to be said about big symbols and big symbolic movements. 